0: Go ahead and return, if you would, to verse 6 and 7, where Paul says, I, I marvel, I, I am astonished that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel Christ. So initially, Paul says, I, I, I'm marveling at your quick defection from God. And false teachers had come to their doorstep, uh, you know, as they do today, usually in pairs, perhaps you've noticed. And they put a spin on the gospel, uh, as the Judaizers did, which the Galatians accepted, which many do today. They accept it. Okay. I don't know how many of these two-by-two two people have come through your doors. Um, I used to meet with them regularly, um, uh, weekly, and I tried to get as many as I could. I would even go down to the local steakhouse. Uh, that is not where they serve uh, a, a nice, thick, rare steak. Uh, that's the, uh, the Mormon church, the main one in the, the area. And I would request uh, missionaries to come to my home so that I could engage with them. And, uh, and then whenever I saw the Jehovah's Witness. Uh, going from door to door, I would ask them to please visit my door uh, so that I could engage with them, and I enjoyed it very much. Um, I don't know that they enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it, and I like it today when they come to my door. I welcome them in. Uh, I do not say Godspeed when they leave because I can't, but they come and, and uh, you know, they put their spin on the gospel, and uh, they say things like, well, you know, why all these denominations? I don't know, why are there so many factions within the Mormon church? They say, well, you know, why don't you guys have a prophet? You don't, you don't have biblical authority without an apostle. And uh, what's this business about grace only? Do you think God is such a fool that he would just receive you? So forth. And, you know, and they put a spin on it. The J-dubs have theirs. And, and uh, those committed to other forms of law-keeping, they have their pitch for you. Um, what do you think about the Sabbath? What? Uh, it's Saturday. And then out comes this, this logical connection why if I'm not keeping Sabbath from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night, that I'm not in favor with God, that somehow I'm in violation of the true gospel. And, and on it goes. Uh, I, I don't know that I've heard it all uh, because, you know, false teachers are so common today uh, that somebody says, hey, have you heard of so-and-so? No. And like, well, you got to listen to him. The guy is crazy. Like I don't have time to listen to crazy right now. Okay, uh, there's so many names out there. There's so many YouTube personalities. There's so much out there, and everybody is trying to spin the gospel, trying to uh, take something away from it, which is always grace. They're trying to add something to it, which is always works. Call it what you want. They're doing something to it. And here in our epistle, the Galatians had, and and probably not every one of them, but some of them had accepted this spin that was presented to them. And it, it happened so quickly that it was surprising to Paul, as it's been surprising to me over the years, as as I've watched people be duped by false teachers. And and it is surprising. You know, the word marvel was used to describe the reaction of the disciples, same Greek word, when Jesus saved them from the raging sea. You know, the the, the boat was about to capsize, they were going under and, uh, and Jesus spoke to the storm, and it stopped, and they marveled, and they said, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Matthew 8.27. Same word, Paul was astonished by what the Galatian Christians were uh, doing so quickly. He was astonished that they were turning away from him who called them in grace. In ancient Greek, this word for turning away, uh, just to try to... Give the stronger sense of the word. It was used of traitors, of defectors, of deserters, turncoats, those revolting, those swapping loyalties, and even those who were converting to another religion. Uh, so the Galatians, they are currently in the process of deserting, of desertion. And Paul says that you're deserting him. You're deserting him, the one who called you by grace. Yeah. So Paul's language is clear. You know, these Galatian believers. They were not deserting Paul, although if they maintained their course, that would result. Um, Neither were they trading their loyalties to the church, even though that would eventually occur as well if they didn't turn back. Paul says that their course of action that they were taking was actually a defection from God himself, the God of grace. I I marvel that you are so soon turning away from him. So bracing the gospel this, not the gospel, but this other different thing was to defect from God, trading loyalties to God, the God of grace for something different. And I think that what needs to be pointed out is the Galatians, um, it wasn't that they were looking at the gospel from a different light or from another perspective. It wasn't that they were exploring, we might say, another dimension of the gospel. Now, if you study the gospel, you realize that there are many wonderful aspects and depths to the gospel amen the more you look at it the more you marvel okay they weren't doing that that's not what they were doing they were embracing a totally different gospel that if brought to its completion would be the full rejection of god which made the difference in this other gospel evil in fact the greek word for different uh, here can signify in itself what is bad And, and and interesting in itself and then here in Paul's statement, you see that this different gospel is opposed to grace itself. God had called them, the text says, by his grace, but they were chasing something now that was entirely void of grace. The Greek word for different is significant because of how it's used in uh, a theological context. When, when something is correct, you know, in terms of doctrine, when, when the teaching is true according to, the, to Scripture, and we say that it's orthodox, at least we used to say that, it's consistent with what God declares to be true in His Word. But when a teaching deviates from God's truth, it's called, you know, we say unorthodox, but it's actually heterodoxy. It's, it's the word Paul uses in the Greek. It's heteros, because it's false teaching. It's error. It's deviant. It's contrary to everything that God reveals in His Word. In the original language, Paul says that this gospel is heteros. It's a different kind of a gospel altogether deviating from what is good and from what is right. So this different gospel then, it is bad, which is interesting as a contradiction of terms because the word gospel literally means what? Good news, good news. But this different gospel is, it's bad news, it's bad news. You've traded good news for for bad news. That's what you've done. And Paul brings out the, the badness of this different gospel even more in verse seven saying that it is not another gospel. It's not another good news. I think the point needs to be made very clear. It's not that, you know, Rome has another gospel or that the SDA and the Mormons have another gospel. They don't. Or Bethel Redding, the Jehovah's Witness and the Oneness Pentecostals. They don't have another good news. Benny Hinn, uh, Kenneth Copeland, Joel Olstein, they do not possess, they're not preaching another good news. Do you understand? They're not. As, all, as if we all have a different version of good news for mankind, and it's all acceptable to God. It's not. There's, there's, there's not another gospel, as verse seven says. It's not of the same kind. It's totally different. So he says it's different. It's not another. And and people have gotten hung up on that in the past. Some even some Bible scholars. But there's a very clear difference between the words. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, for 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 instance, if a dog ran past me and then a few moments later a cat ran past me, I would not say that another dog ran past. That's the distinction here. I wouldn't say that because cats and dogs are a different species, uh, with different qualities and natures. You know, dogs believe that they were created to serve man, and cats believe that man was created to serve them. Uh, (laughs) Under the right circumstances, a cat will eat its owner. A dog will stand guard. One is nefarious. I've liked a couple cats. What ran past was not another dog, it was something different. Just like God's gospel of grace is not everything else that is out there. Just because they use the same word doesn't mean it's the same thing. As I said, Sunday, uh, you know, arsenic can come in tablet form, same shape, same size and color as aspirin. Do you want to know the difference? I can label them the same but it's important that we know the difference. And the difference between the gospel of grace and everything else that is out there is more important. Okay, It's much more important. God's gospel is good news because it's gifted to us freely. It's the gift of his grace. And Paul says that this different gospel, which is not another, is actually a perversion, verse 7. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. Every other time that the Holy Spirit uses the, the word here for perversion in the New Testament, he's using it to describe something that is the opposite Always, okay? The the word is used in Acts 2.20 to describe the sun turning to darkness. It's in James 4.9, laughter is being turned to mourning. So if God's gospel is is the good news of his grace, this perverted gospel is the bad news of works. It's the exact opposite, okay, of grace and favor. This is what's just so strange to Paul. That's why it's so astounding to desert the God of grace, the good news of his son, For the bad news of works. Bad news of works. That is astounding. So here's the gravity of what Paul is saying to them. If you get the gospel of God wrong, you will be excluded from God himself. If you get the gospel of God wrong, you will be excluded from God himself. We cannot be in a right relationship with God without embracing fully the gospel of his son. So whatever we do, we better get the gospel right. We must get the gospel right. Because the consequences are too grave, they're too permanent, they're too eternal. And that's why Paul is so concerned. That's why he's so astonished and so bold and so confrontational. He does not want to lose these people that, he's so, that are so dear to him. How did it come to this? You know, as we mentioned in the introduction, this, this deviation from the gospel, this perversion, it wasn't something the Galatians cooked up themselves. No, this, this puppy was imported by the Judaizers and they came from Jerusalem who Paul said, these people are troubling you. Verse 7, the word trouble here means to confuse, and every effective false teacher has a PhD in the art of confusion. They do. They know how to take what is pure, and they know how to corrupt it, and they know how to get it into your mind so that you'll start questioning what is true, and then begin to embrace what they're saying is true. It's a trick. They know how to twist people up in knots so that nothing really makes sense anymore, and... Uh, They get you to embrace what they believe. Here's something that's astounding to me. Uh, Those who fall victim most to the false gospel of Mormonism are evangelicals. That's those who most ardently affirm the truths of the gospel and the scripture. That's what an evangelical is. Someone who believes that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative, inerrant word of God. And more evangelicals fall victim to the heresy of Mormonism than anyone else. That's astounding to me. It's astounding to me that anyone uh, believes anything that they teach. When you look into their history, their doctrine, the life of Joseph Smith and all of that stuff, convincing people the gospel is something else, and they're always depleting of its, guilt, of, of its grace and then replacing it with man's works. And, you know, if, if the gospel is according to good works, it's just bad news for so many reasons. First of all, you're not capable of producing enough good works, and there's no way of knowing what is enough good works unless we're willing to take jesus at his word and he said be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect that your justification must be perfect that your holiness must be perfect perfect their stuff is the opposite the grace and works paul points that out in romans eleven six. he says uh, you know concerning the election of grace salvation he says if it is by grace then it is no longer of works otherwise grace is no longer grace But if it is by works, it is no longer by grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So Paul is explaining that grace and works, favor and merit, are mutually exclusive ways of obtaining salvation. We're either saved and sanctified by God's grace, or we're saved and we're sanctified by our own works. It cannot be both. It just can't. It's either one or the other. No combination of the two. And because everyone has sinned, and because everyone, because of sin, deserves death, Man's good works and obedience to the law will just never do. God will never accept them. It's just too late for that. Because of our sin, you know, Paul in the gospel says that we can only appeal to God's mercy, which is only distributed through the gospel of his Son. That's it. Those who embrace a gospel according to good works will never earn God's favor and his forgiveness because man's sin and God's justice stands between it. It's in the way. And there's only one thing that can remove it that's well, that's blood the blood of Christ but you know being a good person having good morals doing the right thing being a good father mother husband wife citizen and the rest you know those are all commendable they're important and and they count for a lot but they possess no value for the acquisition of god's favor unto salvation they don't they can obtain or earn or purchase salvation or god's forgiveness by those means no matter how perfectly or how long one does them, because uh, how many of you have sin in your past? So for the next quadrillion years, it's not a word, it's a figure of speech for a really long time. If you've kept the law perfectly from now until then, and I was the judge and I said, that's, that's great. Have you ever lied though? What would you have to say? Yeah, yep. So time doesn't erase all that. Good deeds don't outweigh bad deeds doesn't. The truth is you've always lied and the penalty for that has never been paid apart from Christ. That's it. It's just good works and law keeping. It's not a currency that God recognizes in exchange for salvation. It's only the the precious blood of his son that's spilt at Calvary. That's the only currency that he recognizes. Nothing else. Jesus has to purchase it for you and by faith you must receive the benefits. You guys know Ephesians two eight for by grace you've been saved through faith. and It's not of works. There's no works that God will accept. Paul says in Romans 4, five he says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. But him who does not work... Some people say, well, if, if you're justified by faith, then that makes faith a work. No, Paul says, to him who does not work, but believes. He's saying that there's a difference between... Uh, work and faith, who believes he's the one that's justified. God only accepts faith in exchange for salvation, for forgiveness, for justification, for sanctification, for everything. Anything else is a rejection of God and his goodness. So don't be confused by those who would pervert the gospel of grace. You know, I don't know if you keep up with much heresy. Uh, I try to keep up with the latest heresy and, and the one that is. Uh, impacting the church the most. You know, those, those peripheral guys that are coming out with, you know, what they think is new heresy and things like that. Uh, I, I'm not really concerned unless I see it impacting the, the body here uh, or, or, or evangelicals as a whole. And so I still do keep up with uh, Mormonism and, and what goes on there. And, and they really have a doctrine of abrogation, much like Islam is that they can always, like a chameleon, adjust uh, to make their message more appetizing, uh, more appealing. And because they're trying to appeal to the evangelical community, uh, they're, they're always tweaking their message a little bit so that, that we'll go, oh, well, that sound, that's like us. That sounds a lot like our gospel. And, you know, um, up to at least 2005, all Mormon missionaries were trained that you're saved by grace after everything you can do. No more missionary has ever told me what everything I can do is, but they say grace then becomes activated after all you can do. Well, they're not teaching that anymore. No, they're, the way that they're presenting their, their gospel is that, oh, you're saved by grace. And, then, and, and it's by the grace of Jesus, it's through his atonement, which they actually believe that he atoned for our sins in the Garden of Gethsemane, by the way, not at the cross of Calvary that Paul says in Colossians, that it's by the cross that he secured our peace with God and that he atoned for our sins, but whatever. They're now trying to use our language in the gospel. They're using Ephesians 2.8 to, to grab us. And it's not until you read further in their explanation of what grace is and how it is that you are responsible to maintain God's favor through good works and law-keeping, temple recommends, and all of those things. So it's, it's just the same thing. They're just, they're just lying is what they're doing. And that's the nature of false teachers. It's, it's, we just, we got to get them in. And, you know, the, the Mormon church, while they don't state it outright all the time, they do believe that the end justifies the means. They've done it throughout history. They will lie to you to get you to embrace it, and get you into their fellowship, get you baptized, get you on their, their role. That's what they do. And I'm, not, I'm not overreacting to them. Okay, I've been involved in this my whole life. Studying them, it's, it's craziness. Don't let them be slippery or sly. If salvation falls back on your shoulders, you are done, you're done. This is the fate of all who receive a false gospel. But you know, there's also consequences for those who would pervert the gospel and then share it with others as the Judaizers did, um, as Joseph Smith did and all false teachers do. Verse eight and nine, Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, excuse me, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. How many times does Paul have to say it? Yeah. And notice also how Paul, he includes himself, he includes his missionary companions, he includes every angel in heaven, and anyone else that might share a false message, he says, let them be accursed. No one is exempt. If you share a perverted gospel, anathema is in your future. If you share a perverted gospel, anathema is in your future. I, I don't believe there is a stronger way in the Greek language to invoke a curse on someone than how Paul does it here. He, he's now throwing bare-knuckle punches at these false teachers because the gospel, you guys, it's too precious to provide any cushion for those who would try and distort it, and then spread it among God's people. He's, he's like, the gloves are coming off, and then he's just swinging. He doesn't care about anybody's feelings at this point. It's just, it's bare knuckle punches. It, anathema, you know, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word was used to describe the things that God hates. This is what I hate, God says. It's anathema. Yeah, God hates things, but his hatred, of course, is holy. It's it's righteous. He hates paganism and idolatry. He hates a lying tongue, the scriptures say, and, and feet that are quick to shed blood. D- Did he say he hates divorce? He hates things. God hates evil. It's anathema. And because he hates it, anyone who does it will be doomed to destruction. That's what the word means. In the New Testament, the word describes what is or what will be permanently separated from God, which leads to eternal destruction. Paul told the Corinthians, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, the provision for man's salvation, he says, let him be accursed. 1 Corinthians 22. You think Paul was passionate about the gospel? Yeah. Anyone who does not love Christ before they leave earth will be the object of his eternal hatred in hell. That is anathema. That is anathema. So I I dare not minimize Paul's tone which I think is you know, clearly communicated by his language here. And to be honest, he, he's just getting started. He's just getting, he's get, getting rolling here. He's saying, whoever does not repent of spreading a false gospel will forever be the object of Christ's holy hatred. That is very strong language. You know, Jesus came to save, and those who are teaching a false gospel have come to destroy, therefore they will be destroyed. John said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides or remains upon him. John three thirty six. So if someone dies in that state, you know rejecting the gospel of God, they will suffer everlasting destruction from the presence of God. First or Second Thessalonians chapter one. That's probably the most, I don't know, explicit passage in the New Testament. Is that first part of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So I, I want you to notice something in all of this because I want you to view false teachers the way Paul does. Notice this. These Judaizers are not murderers. They're not murderers. They're not thieves or, or rapists or, or whatever. They're not nefarious persons in the normal sense of the word. They're false teachers. But from God's perspective, they deserve the same fate. A false messenger deserves the same fate. And something else here is Paul is not like so many evangelicals today who are having this playful disagreement with false teachers. Do you understand what I'm saying? So many evangelicals are just playfully engaging with false teachers and false doctrine and false gospels as if there can be some kind of relationship and with those who are are pushing it. Does Paul look like he's trying to have a relationship with these people? He wants them to tuck tail and run. He wants them out now. To engage playfully with false doctrine and those who promote it is to minimize the danger. They shouldn't be tolerated in the evangelical community. They should be identified and they should be excluded. Paul said that these people should be rejected after the first and second warning. Yes, we should try to bring them to repentance by the truth of the gospel. But after the first and second warning, Paul says they should be rejected knowing that such a person is warped and sinning and they are self-condemned. Titus 3, 10 through 11. Verse 10, Paul makes his point even stronger. He says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be the bondservant of Christ. Ah, the, the idea behind the word persuade is actually, you know, that of seeking favor or approval. Paul's question is this, do you think that from what I've just said that I'm trying to win your approval or God's? Is it, is it you I'm trying to please? You know, By saying what Paul just said, someone is bound to react to his strong language and say, Paul's not being very nice, as if that had anything to do with it. Paul's not being very kind. He's being harsh, to which Paul would say, well, oh yeah, I wasn't being very kind, was I? But just wait. I'm just getting fired up, okay? He's saying, you guys need to understand that I'm not trying to win your favor or to make you feel good about yourself. I'm trying to please the one I serve. That's what I'm doing, the one you're currently turning away from as you turn toward this perversion of all of his goodness. In order for me to be a good servant of Christ as his messenger to you, I need to be clear in regard to the danger that you're in. I I can't concern myself with what you think about me in the process. That's not good. Uh, I'm going to deliver this message as it was given to me. Remember Jeremiah. God gave him revelation, and then he says very clearly to Jeremiah, Do not leave out a word. And Jeremiah's like, dang it. (laughs) This is going to hurt. And he paid for it, but he delivered the message as it was given to him. Paul's saying, if I cared about your feelings in this context, it would hinder the truth and the gravity of the situation. And I, he says, I would cease to be the servant of Christ. And that's something I'm just not willing to do. He's my Lord. Too many Christian leaders care about what people think in the context of sin and false teaching, which is a failure, you guys, in their loyalty to Jesus. This cowtowing, this being concerned with your, your ministerial constituents is cowardice. That's what Paul is saying. And you know what? He's going to come out and say it in chapter 2 very clearly to Peter. Yeah, that's what he's saying. You know, we need to be restored to the apostolic conviction that the gospel of grace is the only thing that delivers from death. And, and I'll tell you, the Western evangelical community is not but we need to be. The gospel is the only thing that redeems the soul and brings man back to right relationship with God and that every other message, the death sentence, every other message is a false gospel is more dangerous than Russian roulette because every barrel is loaded. If you take grace out of the gospel, every barrel is loaded. Every barrel. It means sure death. So I better move along here. Uh, We've exposited the passage. Um, I want to just quickly review some of that with you and then consider some of the implications of it all. We've done some of that. But number one, embracing a different gospel than what is presented in the scriptures is the same as defecting from God. Embracing another message is exactly the same as defecting from God. The gospel of God is the gospel of grace. Anything else is a perversion of it. To put your trust in something else, to be separate from God. And those who preach a false gospel are themselves anathema, they are the object of God's righteous indation. Could we please get our understanding of all of that correct? Correct. What are the implications? Like Paul, we must get the gospel right. By the way, he will clearly define that in this book. We have to get it right. Like Paul, we should correct those who are confused by a false gospel, which is the aim of this letter. And like Paul, we must reject those who promote a false gospel, which is the instruction of Only the true gospel saves We need to know it, we need to know it well for at least three reasons. In order to be saved ourselves, in order to save others, and in order to identify a counterfeit. In order to identify a counterfeit. You don't have to study the counterfeit. You just have to know your gospel very well. I've heard it said, I don't really know, um, but I've heard that those who uh, look into such things with counterfeit money, they don't study counterfeits. They just study the real McCoy. And they know it so well that when they look at a fake bill, they can just see it. We need to know the gospel. We need to know it well. So as we make our way through the book of Galatians, let us make it our aim to get the gospel right. Amen? Because I don't want Paul to write me a letter. Dear Calvary Chapel, you really screwed up. No, we're not going to get that letter from Paul. Amen? Okay, let's go ahead and stand up. Some of you are like, can we please get to chapter six? (laughs) All right. Father, we thank you for the gospel of your son, the gospel of that through his death and resurrection, as we exercise faith, that his righteousness is forgiven of all sin, that we're accepted in the beloved. We inherit the promises of God. I thank you for that. And Lord, I don't know if there's anybody in the audience today that is struggling with the truth of the gospel, but there is nothing like your gospel. You save completely those who come to you by faith you forgive freely. Lord, I pray that you would communicate the truth of the gospel to them. And I pray that the, the gravity of all this would fall upon us very strongly, that we would be restored to our convictions. So Lord, help us, help us to be strong in the gospel, to understand well, to have the conviction to share it, to live by it. Lord, I thank you for my church family, and um, Lord, help us not to be like so many today, but help us to align ourselves with your word, Lord, and to preach it to the world. So, Lord, we love you. Continue to grant us grace and, uh, and be with us now as we continue to give thanks and, and worship. Amen.